as we prepare our hearts to hear minister. Hallelujah, Mike Rose. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, keep putting your hands together. Come on and bless his name. The song says it will never lose its power. If you believe it, I dare you to praise God one time. If the blood has worked out for you, I dare you to praise God one time. If you've seen the valley, you've seen hard times, and the blood still works, I dare you to bless the Lord our God. I never understand how someone will serve a God that's not ours. They got all these statues and all these things that they look at, but we have a true and living God that is worthy of our praise. I'm pretty sure the Bible says the redeemed of the Lord are to say so. Any redeemed in the house this morning? Any overcomers in the house this morning? Any victorious in the house? Oh, okay, I'm in the right place then, amen. I'm in the right haste, all right. Before we have our seats, why don't y'all greet your neighbors, give them like an air dap, you know, six feet high five or something. Say hello, try to decipher who they are under their mask. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Y'all can go ahead and have your seats. We're going to jump right into the word. Today's message is coming as a peek into the mind of God and, and what his will really is. We're going, uh, we're still developing our teaching and our understanding of the fivefold ministry and we're speaking today specifically on the kind of gifts God or excuse me Christ gave now watch this in the book of Genesis we see that God created man whose original purpose was to be in relationship but to also oversee and to manage the newly formed earth this man known as Adam was given dominion and authority over the earth and the earth made to be a resource just for him. Genesis 1, 28 through 30. Now, unfortunately, due to the coup that the enemy was able to pull off in the garden, man fell to his sinful nature and was cast out of the garden. But how many know God has already thought well in advance, just in case, right? I love that God is not a manager, but he oversees things. He sees the big picture of what we're doing. In order to complete his design, God gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. You can reference John 3.16. And through him, the gifts of the church are acquired and dispensed. Psalm 68.18. And as the scripture reads, thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts from men. Yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among us. It is important to know that God did not just give gifts, but that we, his people, are the gifts. I dare you look at your neighbor and just declare that you are a gift. Come on, somebody shake off that rejection spirit and look at your neighbor, you are a gift. Now say it like you believe it, I am a gift. We have to do our part to rewire our minds. A lot of things happen in our lives that try to distort what we believe to be true. But the one thing that is true is that his word is the final constitution and in it, it declares that you are a gift. Per the design of the Melikim, Melikim spelled M-E-L-A-K-I-M. Mankind was designed as a gift to the body of Christ to occupy every area of his agenda as well as every area of the world around him. 
I want to just say good morning to our senior leader and our first gentleman, Bernard Howard. Good morning to all those who are in the parking lot, in the sanctuary. Come on, clap it up one time for yourself. Those that are live stream, we appreciate you. Let's jump in. We're talking about the Greek word doma, D-O-M-A, and didomai, D-I-D-O-M-I. Doma, meaning a gift or a present, depicts the presentation of a gift. Didomai qualifies what has been presented. In our instance, the gift was a bestow. Now, if anybody wants to look up the word bestow, understand that bestow is something that's given to you that you can't pay for. See, if this was the old church, we would have called up in a praise real quick because the only gift that we had that we can't pay for is who? And what did he do for us? I mean, y'all better praise through these face masks. What, uh, what, what is the bestowal? The bestowal is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, something we cannot pay for. The life that we have after is still something that is bestowed. We cannot pay for anything that has happened. The gifts were officers who were set in a church for discreet purposes. Now watch. They were to integrate the fullness of the didomize, meaning they are, uh, excuse me, they brought forth, committed themselves, and were committed, granted and were granted, received and showed, or demonstrated what they were set in place to do throughout the church. Understand that in whichever capacity, whether fivefold, and we had to put a pause right there, understand that we call it fivefold, but if you study the Melikim, it is not fivefold. It's very vast. There's so many different attributes. Uh, the author in, in the book that we're studying began to talk about, we are responsible for the religious, spiritual aspects of the world. That means religious, spiritual, but also everything that is temporal after that. Uh, we understand that other, excuse me, other, your gift, given to the body for a specific task. God's purpose for the earth shown through you is essential to understand your importance. Now think about it, if anybody was to give you a gift, usually when they hand you something or they bestow you something, it has a purpose, right? Think about your birthday, think about times when we share gifts, and when you give a gift, whether it's a gift card or something like that, it's for a purpose. Yeah. Now if you understand that you are a gift, that means what? You must be laced with purpose. That means whatever they've been saying about you, what they've been making you feel, what your mind is interpret, must be in error if it doesn't line up to you having a purpose. Notice that your importance is not just for you, but you're important to God. Does the word not say, who are we that you are mindful of us, that our days are like casting shadows? I was reading through the notes and reading through the scriptures that come with it, and I began to think, how can I be important to such a mighty God? How can I have so, so much significance to someone who doesn't need anything? The reason why the gifts are bestowals, because what would you pay God? If you could really stop and think about it, let me pay you for your mercy and your grace. What would you give him? What compensation would you use to pay God? If the Bible be true, it says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the people that dwell therein. So he owns everything. How does saying go? What kind of gift do you give somebody that has everything? So you got to stop and think about it. God desires for us to have significance. God is thinking about us. God is putting us in position to do more than just live and die. One of my favorite lines from, uh, uh, we won't say Minister Tupac, was that we're living to die and we're dying to live. Now, if we think about that, that's the mindset that we develop until you've been given purpose. 
until someone tells you about your significance, we think that we're just supposed to be part of the rat race, that we're just supposed to go ahead, acquire, pay for stuff, pay for bills, and then lay in a grave. The devil is a liar. We have something to do. We have an objective. There's an assignment on each and every one of our lives. It may not be apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, but there's an assignment on you that pertains to the body of Christ. And so long as the devil's allowed to continue to perpetuate ignorance, we won't know what our significance really is. But thanks be to God, the Bible says in James 1 and 5, if any of you are lacking wisdom, God, uh, ask God who gives it generously. He will not rebuke you for asking. Notice that in God's nature, he says, I'll give it what? Generously. And what do we have to do to acquire it? All we have to do is ask. Those in the Bible says, a good parent, if they child asked them for bread, they would hand them a stone. So if God be the template for all parents, if I ask him for a thing, he's not going to just give it, but he's going to what? Overdo. I love that the word says that I come to give you life and what? Life more abundantly. I already gave you life. I breathe the Ruach into your body, but I, want, I don't want you just to live. I don't want you just to occupy and demonstrate. I want you to walk in abundance. That's abundance of healing. That's abundance of finances. That's abundance of safekeeping and peace. That's abundance of revival. God is desiring to do something that is more than the regular. God is not desiring just to have us to live in mediocrity. God wants us to live in this realm called abundance. If we understand anything about abundance, abundance can't be obtained in the palm of my hand. Abundance means I have to get more things to fill it up. I love that when you look at the, the illustration or the metaphor of the, the wedding at Cana, God didn't just put wine back. He put so much wine, they had to go get more basins. Okay, somebody's going to put that in their back pocket. God is looking to overdo. You already prayed about it. You already asked God about it, but he wants to overdo in his response. He's going to answer you for sure, but he wants to make sure that only I can get the glory for this. And only I get the glory because I do it in abundance. I do it in overdue. I thank God we serve a God of overdue. That when I ask for reinforcements, Lord, you just don't reinforce, but you go behind me with the rear guard. You go before me to make the crooked way straight. And your word lines up around me like a shield and a buckler. I love the Lord our God. If you start to think about it, I know it's a cliche, but we always thump think about when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me we got to stop there when's the last time you really thought about the goodness of Jesus when we live in this realm of the supernatural we live in this place of relationship it becomes kind of custom for God to overdo it comes kind of a custom for God to show up and show out but when you stop and pause I personally believe that the pandemic was sent so that we can calm down that you can slow down and acknowledge what's going on that anxiety and fear and and this this uh insatiable desire to acquire things had us forgetting that god is the source of our hope that he's the source of our provision we're meant to slow down so we can look at the goodness of jesus and all he's done if you notice the syntax of the or the sentence the goodness of jesus pause and all he's done. We have to understand that he's the initial gift. If we read Psalm 68 and 18, it says that he acquired the gift, ascended on high, and then gave back the gifts in Ephesians 4 and 11. So you have to understand the goodness of Jesus is that you made a way. And all you've done is the abundance that came because you made a way. 
okay, someone must not be going through any storms in here because I know for me, I'm looking for the goodness of Jesus and I'm waiting to praise for all you've done. I'm looking for the goodness of Jesus in the eye of my storm and then I'm getting ready to praise like Job and David when you show up and do a thing. I've learned to praise by myself. God has made it real evident that his hand is on us. God, look around. When they want to tell you in all the states that our numbers are spiking, look around in the kingdom of God and look how we are still sustaining. God's still providing. Some of us have been on furlough and God is still doing what he said he would do. He said he would withhold no good thing for them that he loves. God is still showing himself mighty in the midst of affliction. That is worthy of a praise. That's worthy of more than a hand clap. That's worthy of a Shabbat. God has been doing what he said he would do. Numbers 23 and 19 says he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man he should repent or change his mind. The word that's been sent out from him must not return to me void but must accomplish what has been sent out to do. That means when you articulated me in Rotobo Sandio Shai, that means when you articulated me in the earth, what you sent me to do must be accomplished. It doesn't matter. Come hella high water, what you sent me to do is going to get done. That's the confidence that we have in the goodness of Jesus. What you said about me, daddy, has to happen. The design and the plan that you said concerning me must happen. It doesn't matter what I felt in my past. It doesn't matter what storms on the horizon. I can still rejoice because what you said about me cannot come back to you void. Mm, God. It's something different when you know God. It's something different when you felt God. It's something different when he's already shown up and done the things that he said he was going to do. There's a different kind of praise when you know his track record, when you know that he's on all the time, that the Bible says that he doesn't sleep nor slumber, that he's always waiting to do what he said he was going to do, that he says, I know the plans that I have told you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope and an expected end. There's something different when you've been in the presence of God. Why do you think Job was okay with everything happening to him? Why do you think David didn't mind taking off his priestly garment? Why do you think the men of God had no problem praising him because they'd been in a place with him? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he saw that they were doing some kind of foolishness. He destroyed the tablets. Moses had no problem climbing back up Mount Sinai because there's a promise when I get to the top. And what happens? God shows up yet again. Y'all got to forgive me because praise is contagious. When you start to think on the words, I love to read the Bible out loud because now my flesh man has to hear what my spirit man already knows. And now uh, praise is inevitable. Bless the name of God. Come on, somebody bless the name of God. Somebody lift up the name of God. Come on, somebody Shabbat God one time. There's many of them that could not come in the building this morning. There's many of them that are not going to take a breath on this morning. But you have been secured. Now here, watch this crazy part. Because we've allowed the history of who we are to become theatrical, what we have now is a watering down of our significance. If you read in the book, it begins to talk about how we've allowed what happened in the garden to become uh, convoluted or uh, distorted, so to speak. What's happened in the garden becomes a children's story, but we don't speak about what's really going on. We don't talk about that out of clay God made man. When he released the Ruach HaKadosh, he gives him life. We don't speak about what happens when he gets kicked out of the garden and how we now have to have accommodations to get our life back together. 
but we like to talk about the, the apple and the serpent and oh my God, we're not in the heavenly place anymore. We got to stop allowing our significance to be belittled, especially in the supernatural. We are in a house full of powerhouse people, full of gifts anointed by God. But if we never knew our own significance, what are we going to miss? If we don't know who we are, if we don't acknowledge one another as a gift, you don't even know you're sitting next to a resource. You don't know you're just sitting next to a son and a daughter of God filled with his power and his glory with the enablement to do what he's called you to do. I love it that this, in the midst of me doing my notes, God began to tell me that this is a breaking of word curses. When you understand you're significant, it's a breaking of mindsets and perceptions. It doesn't matter other people's opinions. What matter is what he said about you. A lot of people may say a lot of things or do a lot of things or perceive you or misunderstand you. That's all right. Let them do that part. What is more important is what God has to say concerning you. The word is filled with the attributes and the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the point of prophesying him coming. But all of that, it does what? The ministry of Christ, the foreshadowing of Christ, all alludes that you have a purpose. The scripture in John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Stop. God so loved who? The world. Don't that mean us? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. If you read the, the definition of only begotten, the only one of myself. So you mean to tell me we have so much significance that God found it not robbery to give of his best. And not just give so that we can have the ministry, but lead him on to death for our purposes. This must allude that there's more to us than meets the eye. Let's go into Psalms 68 and 18. I believe it's the last sentence. And it says, even the rebellious that the Lord God might dwell there. Even in this scripture, when we're talking about Christ ascending and receiving the gifts, that sentence in itself is talking about us. It's talking about those who have been adopted into his sonship. Those who are once the property of Satan, now converts back to the Lord our God. I love that the author begins to write and says, we were restored to be his prized trophies as new creation vessels for a holy inhabitation. This is where you begin to think, what was your life like before you knew the Lord? What was your mind like before he salvaged it? Where were you at before you saw the light? And the thing about all the work he put in to get you back to himself, that's something that began to quicken in my spirit. You put in all this effort just for me. You did all this work, having yourself manifest in the form of a slave for my benefit. All this whole teaching on chapter one, although it, it breaks down the Melechim and the Melech and the foreshadowing of the fivefold, but it also un, uh, what's the word? unveils your importance. It unveils what God had on his mind. It's a great situation when you begin to uh, dissect the wisdom of God. When God gives you an opportunity to see what the pieces were. And I love if you just sit still long enough, I, I believe uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Miles Monroe said that we pray wrong. We pray for 50 and listen for 10. We should pray for 10 and listen for 50. I've been putting it in practice and what God begins to do, I acknowledge your presence, I acknowledge your sovereignty. Speak to me, Lord. What happened when, when young Samuel kept asking Eli, are you calling me? What did he say? Speak, Lord, thy servant is listening. That's been the mandate in my prayer. Speak, Lord, so I can hear you because I'm able to perceive certain things, but the Ancient of Days has the information that I need. There's a library and a wealth of knowledge that I need to get to and you said I have access now. 
So we've been restored to this place of holy, uh, of being a new creation vessel for holy habitation. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away and all things have become new. I love that because if anybody's ever experienced trauma in your past life, this is when the healing starts to take place. This is when the restoration and revival starts to happen. When you understand that now that I've become a, a kinsman or in the lineage of Jesus Christ, everything that was attached to me prior no longer exists. It's like the blood goes in and wipes off a clean slate. Doesn't say Isaiah that he makes, uh, we were once like crimson, now he makes us white as snow. That's something that God does for his own purpose, but it benefits us. I love now that we're secured when we're put back now, we're not just gifts, but we're given a derived authority and the power to implement and finish his work. Now, if you think about it, what is it, what, it's such an honor when your boss comes to you and asks you to do them a favor on their level. It's an honor that I get to mount the sacred desk in, in place of my apostles. It's an honor, it's a, it's a gift or a bestowal. Now think about it in the magnitude of God, that Christ being who he was, God trusts you to finish the work. That as great as God was, didn't the scripture say, greater work shall you do? It didn't tell us that we was going to be greater than the son, but he said, greater work shall we accomplish. You mean to tell me that what you see in me is so great that I get to have the unfinished business of the risen savior? Amen. That the mandate on my life is to complete the task that was left behind. You care enough, not even just care, but you trust me enough to put my hands on your work? Anybody else see the significance in that? Let it change your mind that what you felt about yourself and your level of self-value changes when you adhere to what God says you are to do. That everything Christ did was purpose for example, to show you that how the Bible says, uh, we have not a high priest that's not been touched by our affliction. He was supposed to show us that we can do the work. He was supposed to be the stronger oxen to start the work. Then when he goes on to his glory, he's ascended, what did he do with his disciples? Okay, now I'm charging you. Now I'm charging you, go ahead, Matthew 28, 18 through 19. Go onto the ends of the earth and be my witnesses for them. Tell them about me. But even in that mandate, even in that command, you're telling me you trust me enough to have my hands in your work. You trust me enough to witness on behalf of your name. Doesn't Apostle Paul say uh, to be a living epistle of all men to read? You trust me enough to share my story with other people? Yeah, the Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. The testimony doesn't just benefit you, it benefits everyone you tell it to. I was asking my kids on this morning, uh, do y'all wanna preach? Uh, we don't wanna get on the pulpit and we don't wanna get on the stage. I asked them, I said, listen, y'all don't wanna tell people how good Jesus is? Leave it to my baby to be like, um, yeah. That's what we were supposed to do. God cares about us enough, even in that stage, to put a witness on the inside of us that wherever we go, they see that we're different. What happened when Moses came down from the mountain? They noticed something. They noticed that his countenance, his face was different. Why? Because he had been in the presence of God. That's how we're supposed to be in general. The world should know that we're different, not only just by our countenance, but how we love and treat one another. When you use this information to develop your understanding of significance, you notice that even those around you have the same significance. We ought to honor and reverence each other as a gift. Amen. I believe 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 talks about how we're supposed to all be in agreement on the same accord with the same idea. That's what happens when you have significance, when you have understanding of value. You wouldn't take an E-class business key and throw it down the drain, would you? 
Somebody gifted you a Benz, you ain't throwing the key down the drain, right? Why? Because you equate that car with value. So imagine how we would treat each other if we equated the next person with the same amount of value. And we took on the same perspective of Christ and noticed that this person has value on them and I got to handle them properly. We'll get to that. Because it, it, it was a whole, it was a whole download this morning that God just wants us to know and to recognize that there's more about you than what tries to go against you. A lot of times we identify ourselves by the opposition. We identify ourselves by the things that have happened and come against us. Switch your thinking. Identify yourself by the word of God and what he has said concerning you, not what the warfare has tried to do to you. Now we go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and it reads, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. Now, if you take that scripture and begin to break it down, look how many different things are said about you. God did what he saved. We don't take credit because we're in humility and we lift him back up for doing it, right? Our good deeds can't justify what he's done. Remember, it's a bestowal. We don't boast about it. But then it says what? For we are God's masterpiece. If you know anything about masterpieces, right now in the Louvre in France, the Mona Lisa is held up with security, all kinds of things. You can't get to it. Did you know that you have more value than the Mona Lisa? You got more, more value than Venus to Milo. You got more value than the Arc de Triomphe. You got more value than the things that we put value on. The word says that we are what? God's masterpiece. So what the world tried to make me feel bad about, I'm God's masterpiece. How apostle used to say, I've been called everything but a child of God, but I'm God's masterpiece. Jeremiah says that he is the potter and we are the clay. I'm a masterpiece. When things become against your mind, when whispers and lies come up against you, what you begin to tell them, you can say what you want. I'm a masterpiece. You may not be able to see my value. You may not be able to understand the perspective, but I'm a masterpiece and I'm not gonna settle for anything less. See, that's the problem that we've had for too long. We're willing to acquiesce or settle for things that we think are good enough. We're a masterpiece, we settle for nothing. And in that same understanding, we don't back down, we don't give up, we don't run away. We have the tenacity, why? Because we're a masterpiece. Think about how long that these, these artifacts and these things have been in the ground and they dig them up and all of a sudden they have a monetary value to them. What if you understood that you have way more value than the things that we put in place? That God is instilling in you his word, his spirit, as the book said, an undying supply of the Holy Spirit. Why would he do that? They had the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Doesn't the Bible say, know you not that your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would he put his Holy Spirit there if you weren't worth some value? I don't know about anybody else, but revival hit my living room this morning because there's a lot of things that have been on my mind concerning my personal DNA. But God says, look to your neighbor, God says, you're a masterpiece. Oh, God. Right. It was way overwhelming. I had to take a couple breaths while I'm writing these notes because, God, why, why are you going to do this fight to get in front of these people? You know I don't like crying in front of folk, but praise will make you cry. Praise will make you feel some kind of way. When you learn that 
You mean to tell me he was led to the slaughter for my behalf? That he was whipped 364 times, thorns pierced in his head, a spear in his side, and poison to ingest for my benefit. They made him carry his cross to Golgotha for what? For my benefit. This is the error that we've been using to make everything theatrical. We're going to let Mel Gibson and all these other people make movies about it, but do we understand it? Or do we let the screen depict to us what we understand about our God? If all that was done, imagine how much uh, tenacity he had to have. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if this cup could pass me. But nevertheless, that will be done. The scripture talks about how he sweat so hard that beads of blood were produced from his pores. You know how hard you got to stress to sweat blood? Blood don't even go through your pores like that. You know what kind of turmoil you got to be in for blood to come out of you like that? That all, I love how the author in the Bible puts it so that we can make an illustration of how important we really are. That one person, as the Bible says, spotless of sin, led to the slaughter, was for me. This is how you're supposed to carry the, the understanding. We're not supposed to carry the understanding like it's a DVD that we pop in. We're not supposed to carry the understanding that is a 399 children's book that we tell on Easter Sunday. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to adhere to this. Understand that these are the kinds of gifts Christ gave. These are the kinds of gifts. We like to talk about Ephesians 4 and 11 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 28. Yeah, we understand that. The offices were gifts. But if you go into the chapter, it says for the, the term, for the duration of the assignment, the sender and the messenger are one and the same. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans 8 and 26 that the Holy Spirit links up with us in our infirmity, even when we know not to pray? So God cares about us so much. You don't just guide us and lead us. You link up beside us. You gird us up and give us what we need to keep moving. We ought to be thankful that in his plans, the supreme achievement is the sanctification of the body. The supreme achievement is us getting back to him. That all that God has done in the span from Adam falling to right now was to preserve the seed. That all, although Adam did fail, yeah, that joke would definitely fail. And the Bible says that even cherubim are posted outside of Eden so he can never get back in there. Even after his folly, God still saw it fit. I'm going to preserve the seed. I'm going to stand by my word. I'm going to be faithful. Lamentations 3 and 23 says it. Uh, great is thy faithfulness towards us. Even when we can't be faithful to small disciplines, great is his faithfulness towards us. This is something to put in your back pocket when you start to feel eh, some kind of way. God says that I'm going to be faithful to you, that I'm going to keep my promises concerning you. I'm going to stay in the place that I said I would be for your benefit. When you've been able to understand your purpose and designation, you then begin to see that everything in life, from the accommodations to the mere fact that we are living and breathing, are a gift. I'm going to read that again. Everything after the fall is a gift. The fact that we are able to experience life, whether good, bad, or indifferent, is a gift. I believe I just, oh, Lord, that was revelation. That the, <laughs> the Bible says that Apostle Paul wrote, I figured out the secret of life. Whether I have or I have not, I am content. Why? I believe Apostle Paul, who also instituted the fivefold in the new church, understood everything after the fall of man, you bestowed on me. I didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway. He understood even while he was in Nero's prison, he understood everything that I have experienced from the point of conception till now, God, you gifted it with me, or you gifted it to me. 
that everything that is going on in my life, despite my perspective of it, it's a gift. God saw it fit to continually bless and keep us. The scripture says in Psalms 84 and 11, for the Lord God is our son and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Think about that. We've learned already in the apostles' house that there's two sins that send you on to hell, and what's that? Unbelief in Jesus Christ and a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So doing what is right must mean what? To believe. Marry that with another scripture. It's impossible to please God without what? Faith means that I'm believing and I'm trusting in you, right? So you're going to tell me as long as I choose to believe, you're not going to withhold anything from me. When I got to go ask and beg and, and, and plead for help, you, God, the whole of all resources, withhold nothing from me as long as I do what is right. You start to see the development of the broad statement that is gift. Yes, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are offices that are gifts unto the body. But how is an office an office unless there's an officer in it? Think about it. If we weren't in this building, right, we acknowledge it as a church. But it's an empty edifice. There's nothing in here. It's just chairs and instruments and machines that we use. What makes the church the church? The people that are in it. It's the same thing with the offices of God. The offices are made that much more impactful by the people that work in these offices. So strength, power, purpose, healing, deliverance, and revival, God withholds nothing from us. For the purpose of the assignment, we have become one and the same with the one who sent us. Just like his love for us is everlasting, so is our assignment. I love that when I, I, again, I'm going over the notes, and the author begins to talk about how the enemy likes to overplay his hand by accident. The enemy is so arrogant, think he's so smart. Oh, I'm, I'm such a strategist, I, I have great tactics. The enemy overplays his hand all the time. See, when you are in this position of being provoked in your self-value or of your self-significance, it becomes a crisis to your mind. It's a crisis of your interpretation. Now, I feel some kind of way. Now this is where you get the spirit of fear, the spirit of rejection, all these other issues that cause us to be distorted in our purpose. But you got to stop and understand, crisis does, crisis does nothing but put us back in the face of God. Crisis is not supposed to back us into a corner. Crisis is supposed to put us on our knees. What happened with Job? All his friends, his wife, all these people, go ahead and curse God and die, man. It's over. You know, your kids and died. All your cattle and ran away. Your house and burned down. What you really about to do? What did Job really say? He said, you know what? I'm going to praise God. I'm going to stand still right here and praise him until he do something different about it. That's what Christ is supposed to do. The mindset of, of not having value or being rejected or being in a place where you don't feel that you are valued only pushes you back to the source. Because if we didn't acknowledge gold, right? Gold is still gold. If we didn't acknowledge the cars that we drive and the money that we have, it still is what it is. So when we have a miscued or a, a off perspective, go right back to the source. I didn't initiate my existence anyway. Let me ask the potter, hey, uh, I'm the pot, you the potter, what did you want? And who went, okay, cool, significance, thank you. That's a lot that was happening in chapter one began to break down the foreshadowing of the fivefold and what the Melikim is. The Melikim is, is the 
vast understanding that we were supposed to be priests, heralds, prophets, apostles, intercessors, pastors, evangelists, all these things. At the same time, having a duality of life where we're able to be in the marketplace, bureaucrats, politicians, all these things, right? Why would God do something so vast if he didn't care about his people? So now we're reading and we're understanding the design of the, the foreshadowing of the fivefold and only thing I keep hearing from God is you, is you, it's you. And not saying me bigging myself up, it's you. There, the Melikim exists for your purpose because your purpose serves my purpose. Then you have the Melikim break down into the Melek, which is the noun of Melikim, M-A-L-A-K. That means the actual person that is doing the work. All this is set up so when Apostle Paul goes back and gets a revelation that I have to institute this in the church, it's already set up the way it's supposed to be. All he has to do is, what, what did Jesus do? Jesus went back and talked about the prophecies of old and the laws of Moses. That's what Jesus did, so that's what Paul did. Paul went back into the Old Testament and pulled out the information that he needed and then institutes the fivefold. God has given us everything required to be everything he desired. Once incomplete due to our fallen nature, now complete in God, there's nothing we cannot do for him. We have to embrace that our call to God, although ever maturing, is never part-time. Just as scripture says, he never sleeps nor slumbers. We never quit nor give in. We never back down because just as our authority is derived, so is our reinforcement. I had to stop again when, when God began to tell me, your reinforcement is not even about you. I'm protecting and preserving the seed. I, the Bible says that he's the chieftain of the, uh, the armies of heaven, right? That he's the leader of the army. So when I'm in trouble, when we scream out Abba, when we talk about Maranatha, what does he do? He takes the same authority that he gave you. What the Bible say in uh, was it? Romans 8 and 11. It says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that resides on the inside of you. So utilize the power that he gave you and send your reinforcements. You got to start seeing it, it lines all the way up that God protects his investment. Yeah, somebody caught that. God takes care of his investment. God don't just put seed and walk away. Doesn't the Bible call him a master gardener? I believe the scripture says that he's the Lord of the harvest. Why? God protects his seed. He does what he has to do to make that the seed comes to fruition. He does everything that he needs. The vetting process, the, the securing, the protecting, the sending angels on assignment to go after you. Why? What is Psalms 91 even about? God is protecting his seed. Everything that he's instilled on the inside of you, although a lot of things tried to come up against it, it doesn't really matter because God does what? He protects the seed. One of the best parts of learning about the fivefold is knowing that its purpose starts in God, includes us, and ultimately brings us back to him and the fullness of his design. Think about this. All this effort that God's putting in inevitably does what? Preserves the seed. The reason, and I love that we was in Bible study and we started talking about when the scripture says that, was it, my, my burden is easy, my, what's, how you say it? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The reason why he even says that, it's not your strength anyway. Doesn't it say not by your strength nor your, your power, but by your spirit, says the Lord? All of what he's been doing in your life from the beginning is preserving the seed, making sure you're okay. The reason we can even look at that scripture and begin to get excited and praise the goodness of Jesus, even the manifestation of Jesus in the flesh was for our benefit. So as we're going over the gifts and we're understanding that Christ did everything he was supposed to do in Psalm 68 and 18 to get the gifts. He turns around in Ephesians 4 and 11 and gives us the gifts. 
When you read Ephesians 4 and 11, it alerts the believers to the fact that the gifts have been dispensed and are active in the earth. As much as the enemy would like for us to not acknowledge the necessity of the fivefold, because believe me, a lot of believers think that all oh, apostles and prophets are dead, they've been martyred, they're gone, that's not possible. Then we already read that for long as the assignment exists, the messenger and the sender are the same. So for, to say apostles and prophets and the fivefold are missing would say that God is dead. We all know that not to be true. So we, that means the fivefold must still exist. Praise to God for trusting us with an unfinished work, for supplying us with resources. And as I close, we pray that God continues to download into our mind the minds of his children, the adopted ones, those pulled out, the importance of the gifts and us as gifts, that we may reverence one another and love and admonition, that we may aim to help build up and no longer tear down, that the agenda of our God is continually progressing through us. I'm asking that the Lord just continue to give us revelation on who we are and what was our purpose. Why are we here? Let us not continue to walk in, in uh, aimless direction, but let us follow, as the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to acknowledge him in all our ways and allow him to direct our path. We're on the horizon of a great many things that God, if you look at what we've been doing in the Apostles' House, there's no happenstance that we've been going from sonship to, you know, redeveloping and understanding the fivefold and understanding where we fit in God's agenda. This is the purpose. Let us stand to our feet. Come on. Somebody had it right. Go on. Praise the Lord. God said you have significance and value. Go on. Praise the Lord. He could have left you in your depression. He could have left you in your sadness. He could have left you in that low place filled with angst and anxiety, but God gave us restoration. A scripture I particularly love, Numbers 6, 24 through 27. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. When, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray over your people this day that, Father, as you continue to reveal to us the importance of the fivefold ministry, that you reveal to us our importance as it pertains to the ministry, that you continue to develop our minds to understand that we're more than what has happened to us. We're more than the things that they've said or they've done. We're more than that, God. Give us your perspective. Give us your understanding, God, that we're made whole in you. As soon as we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, all things have passed away and all things have become new. We give you glory this morning, God, for everything that has become new in our lives, God. New understanding, new revelation, God. New healing, God. New body from the inside out, God. We thank you this day for being all that you said you would be, God. And we lift up your name in praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As it is custom in the Apostles' House, there is a sowing for the word. If those on live stream or in the parking lot would like to sow into the word, you can use the church cash app. I believe it's uh, dollar sign TAH131. Amen. I pray that you all are blessed. Those who are watching at home, I pray that right where you are, you've been blessed, that your significance is rising, that your value is going up. The stock market may be crashing by 30%, but your value is skyrocketing right now. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.